a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Hello listeners and a very, very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today I'm joined by a lady that's been with us on uh, on more than one previous occasion, Kelly Branley from Switzerland. Kelly, a very, very warm welcome to you as well. Hello, Paul. It's great to be back with you today. Thanks so much for uh, the invitation. The um, It seems that, uh, Kelly, I, I'm increasingly saying this to one or two to one or two people now that, uh, and I mean this in the most respectful terms, you're becoming a bit of an old stage. You, you know, this is more than kind of, I mean, you've got to be very careful how you put that out there, particularly to, uh, you know, to ladies. Um, but, you know, you've been on, just let's say you've been on more, more than one episode, as I've already alluded to. Definitely. Well, it's always a great discussion with you. And I think we get into some really interesting topics and uncover some great insights so i'm really looking forward to today's podcast as well yeah and what we spoke about kelly was the topic of vulnerability and um you know just for listeners to let you in on this uh kelly and i have discussed a little bit off here we've done no preparation for this at all this is raw this is authentic it could be absolutely amazing with where we go or we could be stumbling after two minutes and not knowing what to say. And that's the intrigue of being authentic, isn't it? So, Absolutely. So, Kelly, um, vulnerability. What is vulnerability? Um, somewhat scary, isn't it, Paul? I think vulnerability, when we talk about that, is um, taking a risk. It's about putting ourselves out there without any kind of mask or let's say, security around us. It's really putting the full truth out there, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, I feel we've set the tone very nicely with that, Kelly, have we not, in terms of, you know, embracing our listeners and saying, guys, we've done no prep for this. We don't know what's going to happen here. And, you know, we've made ourselves vulnerable because there is this, I suppose, expectation and that's another word that's kind of very loosely associated with vulnerability isn't it that oh it's a professional podcast it'll be this it'll be that and it's like no we're, we're making ourselves vulnerable so mm. ju just picking up on that word expectation i mean from your own insights experience how you know does that fit with you that there is this kind of pressure of expectation that if we are allowed to make our, or prepared to make ourselves vulnerable we can actually reduce that quite a lot expectations got a lot to answer for hasn't it you're definitely right there i think that's a word 
and one that creates a lot of pressure and stress for people. We want to live up to a certain expectation, whether that's one we set for ourselves or one we um, feel that's put upon us from society or friends or colleagues, or in my case, you know, when you're dating um, the person sitting across the table from you, you have an expectation that they're looking for something and you want to live up to that. And when we go into vulnerability, we have to let that sort of sit on the sidelines and not be so focused on what it is that we're delivering. Mm. And that's a very, I mean, being here and, and talking to you, and like you said, we have no prep. I mean, normally we've discussed things in advance, and so we're pretty clear on, you know, the direction this is going to go. Mm. And today, this is a completely open playing field for us, which on one side is very exciting because <laughs> we can do a lot of great things together. We can talk about a lot of interesting topics. But on the other side, um, there's this insecurity that comes up when you don't know exactly where things are going to go, right? Absolutely. And um, you picked up on a, well, you, you singled out a word there, Kelly, dating. I think that's a great angle for us to to dive a bit deeper on in terms of our vulnerability, because, you know, when you look at the sort of three things that allegedly that we all want more of in life, it's either time, money or love. Well, let's forget the time one, because that's just a figment of the imagination. We've all got the same amount of time. You know, she stands still for nobody. She is what she is. Notice how I've given her a gender. That's interesting. Money. <laughs> money. That's, well, let's not even go with that one. Money is the root of all evil, apparently. Is it really? Well, from my understanding, it's either a piece of paper in the form of a note or a coin in what, you know, irrespective of where we are. It is just an object. The only power it has is what we choose to give it, isn't it? I agree with you there. And in one of the last podcasts, we got into money in quite depth. And I see money as a vehicle to meet a need. And uh, we talked about that at quite length in our last discussion. Yes. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a piece of paper at the end of the day, but we do use it as a way to getting our needs met, whether that's for security or status, or in some cases, we think money can buy love. But mm. uh, what I've experienced, what I've learned in my studies of dating and relationships is actually uh, vulnerability is at the core of what happens when you want to build a loving relationship with somebody because that's when they get to know the real you. And you very, very nicely segued into that third one. Um, so we did time, we did money, and the third one, as you quite rightly allude to there, Kelly, is the love angle. And and so if we can, you know, if I can draw on your experience of, um, from a professional point of view, of running, um, and I don't know if this is the right terminology, but running a, a professional matchmaking service, um, hasten to use the word dating agency. I mean, please put me right here, Kelly. I'm kind of, you know, I'm not sort of clinging to the exact words of, you know, that's out there with your marketing. Um, I'm sort of relaying it to the listeners in terms of a rough feel. So, you know, just give us that um, 
well, put me right on that. You know, what is it exactly you do? Because I don't want to be talking sort of too, you know, over familiarly. Oh, it's a dating agency. Well, actually, no, Paul, it's not. So please just set the record this straight, Kelly. Sure. So what I do, I actually do dating and relationship coaching and matchmaking. And uh, the coaching part, I think, is relatively self-explanatory in that I help people reach their goals in terms of um, finding love, Um, That entails many different stages. It's about letting go of past relationships, learning from relationships, clarifying what kind of partner would be compatible with them. We look at um, things like attachment style and how that impacts relationships. So that's kind of the coaching piece. And then the matchmaking, there's a difference between matchmaking and dating agency. A dating agency typically has a database of people and they match them together based on different criteria. We're matchmakers. We actually go out and look for partners for our clients. So I come from a long history of recruiting and headhunting. And so I've now transferred those skills into the love industry. And I actually will go out and actively look and um, contact potential candidates for my clients to match them up and uh, find love for the two of them. So that's the difference there. There's a massive difference there, isn't there? Because what you're yeah. saying, what I'm hearing you say there is a very intimate, um, it's beyond bespoke. I mean, that really, and, and you know, from my own point of view, I really agree with that, Kelly, because I think when you are embarking upon a journey to find that, you know, that intimate, deep relationship, to go into the, uh, I don't be quite controversial here deliberately, and I've had experience of this in the past, you know, a um, an online dating agency. I mean, some of the experiences that I had were beyond horrific, not just mm-hmm. for myself, but for what, you know, what the, the ladies that um, yeah, I ended up dating uh, for whatever period of time, what they relayed to me about what they'd experienced. So I really love what you've said there because that gives the respect back to the individual rather than you're in some kind of lottery just for hooking up with somebody. And yes, and I'm going to be sort of point blank yet again, you know, you might have sex for a bit and um, but then it'll all fall apart because there's no real substance underneath it. So thank you for that clarification, uh, Kelly. I was going to just say uh, the point um, about vulnerability in terms of matchmaking is something that a lot of my clients come to me and they just come with a shopping list. And so they're saying, I want a partner that has these criteria. Usually there's quite a lot of physical criteria on the list. Um, some of it's superficial. Some people have an idea about what they're looking for in terms of values, but uh, they come with this list. And part of my job as a matchmaker is getting Um, beyond that to really find out who they are as a person and Mm. tapping into that vulnerability where they've been hurt in the past, what are some of their fears. And once I get to know that about a person, I can help guide them to find the type of partner that would be compatible with them. And Mm. when I have clients who are really afraid of going into, you know, sort of those real personal aspects, I tell them it's really hard for me to actually find a compatible person for you. Cause otherwise what I'm doing is I would be using an algorithm like every dating app, you mm. know, and matching on criteria based like physical characteristics and hobbies. 
And that science has proven is not what makes for a long-term, happy, healthy relationship. Absolutely. So as a generalization, do you find that when clients come to you, they are prepared to be vulnerable? Or is this, you know, I, I know, and I'm speaking generally now, again, from a coaching perspective, with those early steps together as coaching client where people um, are still quite guarded, even though they're paying you money for a service, they're still quite reserved because that trust and intimacy that and that rapport, they haven't quite built that with you yet as as the, um, you know, as the provider of the service. You know, I had this conversation with one of my clients at the weekend where she couldn't um, she couldn't understand that although you was paying somebody or a client might be paying you as a coach, he or she could be holding back, particularly in the early stages of the journey. And I've said, absolutely, they will. Because I go back to my own time as a, as you know, and I use this label very loosely, as an addict. I was conning myself around what my problem was. Mm. So I had no problem trying to con the outside world. I wouldn't say consciously, because I actually believed my own lies. And so I use that sort of in the context, Kelly, of, you know, whether I'm paying you or not, in those early stages... I'm going to be quite guarded about what I tell you until I can trust you. So I'm not going to be over, overly vulnerable. That's me personally. Does that resonate generally with all your clients? Well, I shouldn't say all, but with a percentage of your clients? Certainly, I would say a large percent are very guarded at the beginning until we get into um, a point where they feel trust and it's always interesting. I mean, we can have a discussion in one of the first couple of sessions and they'll tell me, you know, about their past or what exactly had happened, why their marriage ended or why a relationship didn't work out. And then a couple of sessions later, you know, it will come up. Well, there's a few things I didn't tell you. Um, mm -hmm. And then they'll share the truth about it, which of course changes the entire story. Um, and that's when the real work starts. And that's where, you know, being vulnerable gives you opportunities that I think a lot of people don't recognize at the beginning. It's the fear of being hurt um, trumps the opportunity that you could have by being open. And especially if you've been in relationships where you have been hurt, that's a human response to be guarded and to try and protect yourself from that hurt again. But a lot of people miss out on huge opportunity by doing that. And they don't even realize it's it's subconsciously happening. And mm. yeah, it's it's hard to connect with a person when you've got this shell around you. And so it's about learning to let that guard down. Yeah. And there's, yeah, I mean, there's not a one size fits all for that, is there? Um, no. I know we're both advocates of the uh, the RMT, the Robbins uh, Madonna's training. And um you know, I find myself, Kelly, increasingly using an example of Tony Robbins's on the surface, it quite, quite shocking um, breaking the pattern tactic. Uh, I won't go into detail because I think li some listeners, and I shouldn't make that assumption or, or prejudge the situation. The one I'm referring to, Kelly, is the, uh, the one with Lindsay, the Australian Mm -hmm. A lady yes. where he uses sexual um, suggestions and obviously the language is very colourful. But it's the point is, it breaks that pattern. 
Could you envisage where, and it's difficult, so listeners, I kind of apologise for this because I'm talking with Kelly about an incident or, or a, a strategy and a tactic that we're both aware of, um, which you may not be aware of. So it's probably difficult for you to grasp. And then me ask Kelly the question of, from your point of view, could you envisage how that particular, let's say, shock tactic would work in your line of work? Well, I actually do use that shock tactic in my coaching, and I also help my clients understand a bit about how that tactic works in the dating field. So maybe just to to kind of for your listeners give a little bit of deeper understanding in what we're talking about. It's basically humans, we tend to get fixated on a certain train of thought. And when we get in that thought pattern, we look for evidence that reinforces that thought pattern we're in. And so what Tony Robbins does is he uses different tactics. It can be um, a complete um, different train of thought. As you mentioned in this one example, he uses sexuality to break that train of thought and sort of shock this woman out of her thinking. Um, he also uses sometimes very, very harsh language. Um, in my coaching, I often use um, sort of a mirroring technique to break the pattern, which is basically I hold up a mirror and I sort of reflect back um, in very direct words what a client is saying to me. And it often stops them sort of in their train of thought and gets them focused in a different direction. And that mm. helps um, people to get insight. So it kind of breaks open um, you know, the discussion to allow new thoughts to come in. And Tony always says, if you're confused, that's great because it means you're going to learn something new. And it comes from that principle. So he, he uses words that confuse the person in that moment, but then it opens them up to learning something new about themselves or about the world. And mm -hmm. oftentimes when I talk to people about dating, what happens is in early dating, especially first and second dates, people get stuck in the train of thought of the standard questions. And so I will always um, train my clients when they're starting to date is when you feel that you're getting in that sort of standard, you know, where were you born? Um, where did you go to school? What do you do for work? All these kind of standard questions is to really break that train of thought by asking a random question um, that completely throws the other person off and it will completely change the discussion. And then you will get into a discussion on a much deeper level about something that's actually important to both of you, rather than you know these sort of standard interview date questions. I keep using the word intimate. What's coming through to me loud and clear, it is very, very much, isn't it, around that intimate connection. And I don't mean physically intimate. That may or may not come later. I'm on about the real intimacy of a relationship and that connection. Um, somebody told me, year, well, decades ago, Kelly, around the four levels of connection. And I was a young guy at the time and I was a bit of a colourful character. I was getting in a lot of trouble, you know. And um, it was a man of the cloth that pulled me to one side. Very, very wise old, wise old um, sage. And... Um, he pulled me to one side and he said, hmm, I've been watching you some time now. He said, you really think you're a bit of a boy, don't you? Of course, I mean, I think, I don't know, 18, 19, 20. Um, and I was wild. I was wild. 
And then I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what's your problem? What's your problem? He said, let me tell you something. And, and he gave me some pearls of wisdom, which at the time meant absolutely nothing. But isn't it funny? Ironic is a better word. How after all these years, I've still remembered those words and I've, I've never forgot them. They stuck. And his words of wisdom were this. And I think this, there's a kind of parallel with what we're talking around here, Kelly, in terms of, you know, that connection, if you will. He said there's four levels of connecting with people. The first level is physical. He said, that's what you're doing. You're hopping around, you're getting involved with people, you're getting in fights. It's physical. It's easy. Anybody can do that. Hmm. Okay. The next one, he says, no, up. And he was trying, and he, and, he, and he got his hands to create this triangle. So he put his hands together to create, but, you know, so his fingertips were touching. He created this triangle. So he said, working at the bottom is the physical. Now work up the next level towards the top of the triangle is the mental the way you're letting your mind, how you connect with your mind. So it could be how you talk to each other. Okay. The next one up is the emotional. How you relate to people with your heart. Okay. And I'm thinking, right, I get all those. Where's he going with this one that's right at the top of the triangle? And he said, it's the spiritual. Because when you've got that, when you've got that deep, deep, deep spiritual connection, the rest are kind of, they just sit underneath. And, do you know, for me, Kelly, that's that's held a lot of water over the years because I, I look at the contrast between the what he called the spiritual, um, higher power, source, call it what you will, because I personally believe that is the most intimate relationship of all. That's just my personal view. Um, and then the other one right at the bottom of the scale, to use his insight of the um, the physical, listening to what you're saying there, my mind's conjuring up, rightly or wrongly, this very spiritual level, deep connection. Does does that fit within your concept or or is that just me being creative in my mind? No, I love what you're saying and I completely agree. And I think that's a, a beautiful model to describe it in that way in the levels and and how you sort of go deeper into this um, connection with another person. And, you know, we've talked before about thinking from your mind versus thinking from your heart. And I do believe a spiritual connection is something that's very heart driven. It's not something you can logically think through and explain. And so many people are searching for that kind of connection with another person. Um, and it, it comes really from a feeling like a kinetic body feeling, um, a heart sensation of being able to share with another person at a level that doesn't almost make sense or resonate in the mind. And like you said, you've gone through that mental, emotional to the spiritual. I think it's such a beautiful way to describe you know, the different layers of connecting. And to get there, you need to be extremely vulnerable. Mm -hmm. We keep coming back to, you know, how do you get there? And I have so many clients and um, they'll say, you know, I'm looking for a really deep connection with somebody, but I keep getting, you know, superficial. And 
there's this need or this want of having this connection, but difficulty in understanding how you get there. And in order to get there, you need to share. It comes for, for listeners who understand um, the law of reciprocity, right? You need to sort of open yourself up and, and share and give something for the other person to feel safe in giving back to you. And so many people are waiting for that other person to make that first move and it doesn't come and it doesn't happen. And they feel let down because they have a higher expectation of what kind of connection they want. And I like to encourage everybody is to be the person to make that first move and to open up and to share something about yourself, which is a little bit private, which you wouldn't share with anybody um, maybe even something you wouldn't share even with some of your close friends and family because you, you create a level of intimacy and discussion uh, that you don't otherwise reach when you're just focusing on the, the mental level of just having a discussion um, about common topics. What was going through my mind listening to you there was what I call the love box where there's a third dynamic um, in our relationship. For argument's sake, so for the purpose of the benefit of our listeners, Kelly, if I can be allowed to um, role play, and it's me and you in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So what we would have is this third, use the term loosely, but third part, not party, but third part in our relationship called the love box. Because isn't it true that most people within a relationship, and, and I've put this to the test, uh, both practically and theoretically, go into a relationship for what they can get from it? And isn't mm. the subtle twist to go into the relationship and say what you can give to it? And that's, if I'm hearing you correctly, that's kind of what you've just said there, isn't it? Around... Mm. Okay, you know what? Make the first move. Be vulnerable. Go out there. Lead. And I think stereotypically, uh, and it is a massive generalization and stereotype, but that emphasis, if we're going to go within the realms of sort of being gallant and chivalrous, is incumbent upon the guy. Uh, and I'm obviously sort of creating a very old school, almost rigid dynamic about a relationship. Um, assuming it's going to be a heterosexual. It doesn't matter what the dynamic is. Listeners can, you know, use their own, um, they can put their own interpretation depending on how it fits with their model of the world. There's no right or wrong on that, as we know. But this love box, Kelly, is where we'd go and we put into it. So rather than go into this love box and take out of it, because isn't it true that if we imagine that this is like a physical shoebox, um, an old shoebox, and we put stuff in it to save for us. So imagine that's in financial terms. So I'll put, I don't know, 100 euros a week in, and you'll put 100 euros a week in. In between us, we're building this nest egg, and we're saving for our future, and that's great. Fantastic. Imagine the, the reciprocal of that in a, in a relationship where, okay, well, I'm with Kelly now. Let me keep going into the box and taking out. Mm -hmm. Sooner or later, you'd be bankrupt. Mm -hmm. Doesn't the same principle apply emotionally? And where couples 
uh, I won't say make the mistake because that would be judgmental, but where people go into this, this shoebox and rather than give to the relationship, they take and they keep taking to the point where it leaves the relationship emotionally bankrupt because there's nothing left in the box. Does that work as analogy, Kelly? That works absolutely. And I completely agree with you. And it sort of reminds me of something, you know, when people um, often talk about relationships and they talk about the work of relationships. I think it refers to that people say, I don't want to have to put so much work in. I don't want to have to make the effort to deposit into that love box um, and to invest in there. And you can't have a successful relationship if you aren't both making those deposits. And those are de those deposits are your security when something goes wrong in the relationship, when you have an argument, because an argument is a withdrawal, a conflict withdrawals from that. And if you haven't built up enough of a security level in that love box of deposits, that can be what breaks a relationship. And so when people talk about work, it's the effort of being conscious and continually investing and being open with your partner and having those deep discussions. And um, I always joke with, with my partner now um, when we talk about, you know, things that are going on in our life. And um, he asked me once, you know, what happens if we run out of things to talk about? And I said, well, we start at the beginning again. We'll be different people a year from now. We'll be different people 10 years from now. And so it's about continually investing, asking those questions, ask the same question in six months, in a year, in six years, and you'll get a different answer. And yeah. that work is so important to keep that love box um, full. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kelly, as ever, I mean, we've, you know, we said we didn't know whether it had last two minutes or how long it had last. Well, it certainly lasted more than two minutes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what a surprise it's been. Uh, well, you know, I'm sure listeners and hopefully listeners, you'll agree. It's been a it's been a fascinating insight into the general topic of vulnerability and the more specific angle of matchmaking and, and dating. So, Kelly, immense gratitude to you uh, as ever. Thank you so much, Paul. It's absolutely wonderful to chat with you. And uh, I look forward to what the future holds for the two of us in terms of future topics to discuss. And I'm sure there'll be many and varied. I've got no doubt about that whatsoever, whether we turn up prepared or unprepared <laughs> or, you know, whether we're vulnerable or not, as the case may be. And long may we be vulnerable because just to quote Brenny Brown, I think it was Brenny Brown. Didn't she say your power is your vulnerability, is your power. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. And on that note, Kelly, all that remains now is for me to uh, ask you to share contact details, uh, how people can reach out to you, connect with you, and uh, get further insights into your, in my humble opinion, amazing work. Thank you, Paul. So if you're interested, you can visit my website. It's uh, kellybrandley.com, and that's spelled K-E-L-L-Y. B-R-A-N-D-L-I. Excellent. Thank you. So there we have it, listeners, the amazing and the beautiful Kelly Brandley. And all that remains now is for me to say, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. 
If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. 